Lord, thank you that you are the way maker, God. Thank you that is who you are, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. And God, we come to you tonight, Lord, to seek you, not just worship, but to open your word and hear from you. So I ask God that you would bless your word tonight, God. Help us to be attentive to your voice, Lord. Help us to hear what you are saying to us and help us to learn to grow, God, and Lord, change us tonight. Transform us. Thank you for your word. Anoint it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Aloha, everyone. Good evening. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And we're going to be continuing our study here in the book of Acts. And we're going to get right into it as I prayed for the word. And what a great time of worship it's been. And the, Welcome you guys online to you. You can grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. Now, I was reading about the biggest buffet in the U.S. is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And it's in a, 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 this restaurant is called Shady Maple Smorgasbord. Now, get this. It started out as a farm stand 60 years ago. Now they are in a building that is 110,000 square feet. They say they feed about 1.5 million people a year. On their busiest day, which is Saturday, they feed uh, 7,000 people show up to eat. And there's all these lines on Saturday. They, they put the Ono food out on this 200-foot buffet uh, a stand, you know, where everyone can grab their food. And the restaurant seats close to 2,000 people at once. I mean, this is a huge place, place very popular. Uh, that made me think about, uh, um, well, how about the Guinness Book of Records, you know, is there, is there something with that? Well, I looked up in the Guinness Book of World Records. It states the biggest buffet was in 2017 at the Surat Thanai Province, which is Thailand, on Samui Island. So organizers there put out 6,863 dishes. But they wanted to, to do this for a world record, so... Uh, they had food judges who deemed some of them were duplicates. So officially, this buffet had 5,829 different dishes. Doesn't that sound good? Over 30,000 um, people, food preparers, locals, and tourists were, were, came and took part in making this buffet into a world record. I was thinking, you know, I would like to help out there and do my part, yeah? Go eat, yeah? <laughs> Sounds so good. Well, tonight as we continue our study here in the book of Acts, we find examples of the Apostle Paul and the believers that they are also doing their part too in spreading the gospel. So I titled the message tonight, Do Your Part. Do Your Part. Uh, we're going to be studying Acts chapter 18 from verse 1 through 11 tonight. Now, we're going to be seeing four things and what's important that we do our part in. Number one is be willing to work. Number two is be willing to give. 
Number three, be willing to share. And number four, be willing to trust. Be willing to trust. So let's begin here. Do your part. Number one, the first thing we want to learn is be willing to work. Be willing to work. Now we're going to be covering verses one through four in this section if you're taking notes. And let's go ahead and take a look at the the first four verses here in Acts chapter 18. It reads here, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of uh, Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And, verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Well, we'll stop right there. Well, we begin with here in verse 1, where Luke, the writer of this book of Acts, he says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, after what? Well, after sharing Jesus Christ in Athens. That's what we saw last week, his masterful Uh, preaching that he did and in bridging the gap, bringing them to look at Jesus as God and hearing the gospel there. So from there, Paul left Athens and traveled to the city of Corinth. Now, I think I have a map and uh, you can see this map. I zoomed in on this certain area where uh, Paul had traveled. Now, Now, the Corinth is actually uh, 50 miles like southwest of Athens. You can see that. Remember, this, he's on his second missionary journey. He was in Philippi, uh, a witness there. People got saved and went to Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. And, and now he makes his way down to Corinth. And you can see on the map, the city of Corinth, it, it's this narrow strip of land. And with that, Corinth became this commercial center of the world. It was, it was a well-known city back in the ancient times. It was big on trade. Uh, ships could come in. Uh, 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 businesses flourished there. Trade, manufacturing. Uh, you, you had access through land but, and sea also. So this was a, a, a big city. It, it was a well-known city known for political and commercial trade that was going on. Well, with that, there was a lot of money that flowed here. And so with that money and the trade and being a commercial center, it became a very wicked city. And uh, there was a lot of evil and wickedness. Corinth here actually became known as like the city of sin. Uh, If if you want to talk about someone who's evil, you'd be called a Corinthian, basically. Uh, um, if, If you're a prostitute... Uh, you'd be called a Corinthian girl. That, that's how bad this city was. But here Paul came on here. This was the next stop for the second missionary journey. And God sent him there. God wanted to establish a church 
there. And we know there was a church there. There's a book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians where Paul addresses the, the church that was established there. And he began here on this second missionary journey when he arrived there and started sharing Jesus Christ. But God wanted to send Paul there, bringing light into this dark city. A missionary to Arabia, uh, I think it was the end of the 1800s he was, if I believe that's right. John K. Faulkner said this, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Isn't that good? That was this missionary's heart, and I believe that's God's heart. And that's why he sent Paul specifically there to Corinth, to this dark, wicked city, to bring in the light of Jesus Christ and to save people from the bondage of their sins. So after Paul um, took off from Athens, he's in Corinth. Now when he was there, we find in verse 2 and 3 that he found a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. If you study the Bible, these are famous, this couple is famous. They became close friends, a long time, lifelong close friends to the Apostle Paul. Now, Luke tells us here a little story about them, that Aquila and Priscilla were native of Pontus, which is up in the northeast area of Asia Minor, or today is Turkey. So they're from that area, way, way up in the northeast area, way up there. But they had been living in Rome until Caesar, Claudius, had kicked out all the Jews, drove them out of Rome, and they ended up here in Corinth. And here in Corinth comes Paul, and they meet. And Paul now ends up staying with these guys. And what's interesting here is that in verse uh, 3, it tells us because he was of the same trade, Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla, and work, for they were tent makers by trade. So we find out here that Paul, actually his trade is a tent maker. Now you might be thinking, well, I thought Paul was a, a, a Pharisee. Yes, he was. He was trained under Gamaliel, and he was a rabbi, a famous rabbi, famous teacher, Jewish uh, religious leader too. Paul was, was discipled by him. Yes, that's what he was. But it, it, it was custom that the rabbis would have a trade also. And for Paul, we understand here that he was a tent maker. It's required. If you're going to be a rabbi, you also needed a trade. Uh, when did he learn that? I don't, we don't know exactly. Some speculate perhaps maybe his father was a tent maker. A lot of times the sons take on the business or the trade of what the father was doing. It, it could have been that. Uh, the area that he's from, Tarsus, or the, the main area, uh, Cilicia, is, is known for like uh, goat hair and goat leather. And it could be that, uh, and they're known for, for making tents. So it could be that was the trade that was where he was from, that maybe his father did, maybe it was common. But either way, this was, we see here for sure that Paul was a tent maker by trade. So here's the idea. Paul comes from Athens to Corinth. He comes to Corinth and he runs into 
Aquila and Priscilla and their tent makers too. And so I believe that Paul was working his coming to work his trade and he came in probably to look for a way to do it and here's Aquila and Priscilla already there a house and they're making tents he met them and and they hit it off they 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 were you know they uh, they like Paul and Paul's like hey I'm into tent making too so when needed now we find here something interesting about Paul when it was needed Paul would support and provide for himself by working his trade, tent making. So here's Paul coming into Corinth, runs into Aquila and Priscilla, who are tent makers, and here's Paul working now. Now, it's interesting, in Acts 20, 34, Paul refers to that he, he, he did work. He did his trade. When he was speaking to the Ephesians there in Acts 20, 34, and he says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. What he's, well, the verse above says, you know, I, I never took anything from you guys. That wasn't it. It wasn't about me, you know, trying to acquire uh, money or gold or silver, anything like that. No, but, you know, I work with my own hands. That's what he was telling the Ephesians. You know me. I wasn't there to, to take from you. I, I provided for myself. And so we get that picture now here in chapter 18 that Paul, he provided for himself. He worked. He, he, when, when, there, when he needed provision, he went to work and he was a tent maker. Then verse 4, it's interesting. Now Luke goes on and says, and being in Corinth here, not only did he tent, do tent making, not only was he staying with Aquila and Priscilla, but in verse 4 it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here's Paul continuing to do ministry. He's, he, he's doing what he was always done, right? His missionary uh, operational plan that he does, right? He goes into a city, finds the synagogue, starts to teach and reason with the Jews, the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah, the prophecies, and then points to Jesus and then shares the gospel and all that. So Paul continued to do ministry here while he was tent making. So Luke's trying to show that, look, Paul did ministry on this mission trip. And when needed, well, he would provide it for himself by tent making. Now, for Paul, working his trade was, was the means for him to continue to do ministry. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't like, well, I got to stop ministry here because I got to go work. No, he continued to do what he can in providing for himself. He had to work, make tents, and then, but every Sabbath he was still there, you know, witnessing Jesus. He was still sharing Jesus. And perhaps, maybe that's how Aquila and Priscilla came to the Lord. Now, now we don't know exactly this. Some commentators said, uh, believe and speculate, well, it was probably Paul who led them to the Lord. Or it could be most commentators feel that uh, Aquila and Priscilla were already saved at this point. It could be that. We don't know for sure. But either way, being with Paul and Paul staying at your house, you're either saved or you're going to be really strong in the Lord, right? So, so Paul, I'm sure, was a great influence uh, on them, working with them, helping them in ministry, you know, always there with Paul. So here's the first thing I want you to see, though. 
do your part and be willing to work for your provisions. This is Paul. Do your part and be willing to work for your provisions. That, this is Paul. He, he, that was his heart. He's, he's ready to do whatever he needs to do to keep the ministry going. It wasn't one or the other. He worked so he can do ministry. That, that was really his heart, right? Because he's on this missionary journey. He's on a mission trip. But if he needs to work and he's over there, sure, I'm, he's going to go to work and work his trade so he can continue to provide for himself so that he can continue to do his mission work. So do your part. We see Paul doing his part. He was willing to work for his provisions. You know, I remember hearing, you know, sitting under Pastor Chuck for years and hearing his stories, you know, how at first, I mean, he was pastoring churches and all, but he still had to work. There wasn't enough income. So I remember him doing construction work or, or, or working in grocery store. He became a manager of a grocery store. And, and always at work, always doing his quote-unquote tent making. And today in, in Christian circles and ministry circles, that, that's what that means. Oh, are, are you tent making right now? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm having to work. I have a job. I need to do this to support myself so I can do ministry. And it was for me. When we first started the church, I had to get a job. And uh, I had a couple different jobs. And uh, actually, um, in, in the two jobs I had, I had a second job. I actually worked two jobs also as we started this church. And the second one was actually teaching guitar. I had a little, little you know, handful of students. I'd drive around and teach them guitar after I, I did my other job. But it, that was my tent making, you know. You can say, oh, yeah, being a musician, that's my trade maybe in, in a sense. But so I was tent making too. But you know what? There's other guys out there. It seems like they're not into working. They want to be in ministry. They want to do things. But they're constantly going after people for money. And sometimes I scratch my head and say, well, can't you get a job? <laughs> you, know? you know, I mean, I, that's what most of all the, or all the guys I know, my friends did. We, when we started ministry, we started church, or, or rather you're, you're going on missions or whatever, you, you went and got a job. You know, it wasn't always uh, asking people for money. But Paul, I like this. We see him, and Luke is bringing this out, that he did his part. He was willing to work for his provisions. And so I think it speaks to us. Do your part and be willing to work for your provision. No matter what you're involved in, maybe ministry, you're serving in a church, or maybe God's calling you to something else, or, or preparing you for the mission field. You know, we, we do our part. And, and in that, God uses that. I, I think that, you know, Paul wasn't shy or shame at, well, I got to go work and do my tent making. And you know, with, even with while he was tent making, he was still doing ministry, right? I'm sure he was still sharing Christ or selling his tents or um, even working with Aquila and Priscilla, right? If they came to the Lord under Paul or maybe they grew under Paul, that was ministry too. So that's all of God's sovereign plan here, and we've got to trust him in that. So do your part. Be willing to work. Let's go to number two now. Be willing to give. Be willing to give. And here, I just want to look at verse 5. Just one verse in this uh, second thing that we can learn here. Now, the verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy 
arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So Luke continues, and he's telling us this account, this story of what happened. Now, uh, while he was there in Corinth, while he's tent making, while he's in this synagogue sharing Christ, well, Silas and Timothy finally reach him, finally show up where Paul is at. If you remember, Paul had sent word, right, for uh, Silas and Timothy to come from where um, um, uh, uh, Berea or Thessalonica, Berea, to come and meet him in Athens. But he had went on to Corinth. Well, finally, Silas and Timothy caught up to Paul here in Corinth. Now, they, they were, um, here it says in, in verse 5 that um, they arrived from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is that area on the map where you saw Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, uh, Berea. That's all Macedonia area. So they came from where they were at. They must have stayed back ministering, discipling to the believers. Paul assigned them. But now he called for them. They came and showed up here in Corinth. And with that, we see Luke write something interesting. It says, Paul, when Silas and Timothy arrived, then it says, Paul was occupied with the word. He was testifying, teaching about Jesus Christ to the Jews, that Christ, uh, the Christ was Jesus, that the Messiah, Christ, is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. But I want you to zero in on, on what it says here in the ESV, that Paul was occupied with the word. Paul was occupied, testifying about Jesus being the Christ. Uh, I think that's important to understand. The word occupied here in original language means uh, to put your full effort into, to, to put everything into that. The NASB translates this, that Paul was devoting himself completely to the word, to the teaching. The NLT translates this, he spent all his time. So when you see that word occupied here in the ESV, you kind of get that feeling that, oh, now he focused in on doing this, right? He focused in on giving the word, testifying uh, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So here's the idea. Once Silas and Timothy came, Paul was able to stop tent making and spend all his time preaching. That's the idea here. This is, this is what's going on here. Uh, how did that happen? Why did that happen? What, what's going on? What changed, right? He was tent making before, but now this is telling us he's not tent making. He was occupied on this one thing. He, he was, he was full-on putting effort into this one thing. How did that happen? Well, you know what? The picture gets filled in when we see, or if you remember, I'll mention to you, in 2 Corinthians 9-11, Paul mentions, oh, when the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied for my need. Interesting. In Philippians 4-15, he was thanking, you know, in Philippians 4, he's thanking the Philippians for their gift, for their support. 
And he says, you know, when I left Macedonia, no one really supported me. Uh, um, but you were the only ones who gave to me. And I believe he's referring to when Silas and Timothy came. They came with a gift from the Philippian church, from the Macedonia area, and to come and help Paul to support him in his provision so that he did not need to tent make anymore. He could full on put his focus in on uh, uh, doing ministry full time. So here's the Philippians, here's the believers. They were willing to do their part. They're willing to give in support of this mission. And that's what God is telling us. Do your part, the second thing, and be willing to give. Do your part, be willing to give, to support the mission, the ministry. I think about what Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I like that. I, 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 that's exactly what, what we need to do is support those who minister to us. And understand when we, as we're talking about giving here, you know, it's different in the Old Testament than it, what, that it is in the New Testament. The Philippians, they just gave. Did they have to give? No. But they gave out of their heart. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 4. He's like, well, you know, it's not like I, I, I needed it, but I kind of needed it. But, you know, you, you guys from your heart gave. And that's the New Testament way of giving. Uh, matter of fact, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll look at verse 7. And I think this is a key verse here in the New Testament. And in the days that we live today on how we give. And just to be clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. We've heard that, right? Well, Paul here is really establishing, this is what we find in the New Testament, that our giving to ministry or mission, it's out of the heart. It's because we want to. It's not because uh, we, we are under compulsion. We don't give like, oh, I don't want to give, but okay, I'm going to give, right? No, it's a choice we make. It's a decision we make. Now, you might be saying, well, I always heard like give 10%. Well, if you want to, that's okay. <laughs> New Testament is whatever you want to give. Well, the 10% actually comes from the Old Testament, and the word tithe that we find in the Old Testament means 10%. And so the Jews were required now to give 10% to the temple, to the running of the temple, to the running and helping the priests. And, and they, they were required to give that 10%. That's the Old Testament law. But if you really understand the Old Testament, it wasn't just 10%, you know. Uh, every three years, you give another 10%. You know, every year, you give a 10%. And every three years, you give another 10%. And some have calculated that out to like 23 25% or so. There's a temple tax also on top of that. So, I mean, if, if you look at it in that sense, you kind of realize, hey, that's like our income tax now, right? Our state and federal. 
Well, that, that was the economy that in that way of Israel with God that God had required. But now we come to the New Testament. We see here in 2 Corinthians 9 that Paul didn't say, well, you got to give 10%. Yeah. No, he just said, you know, whatever you want to give. Each person has to decide in their heart what they want to give. As long as you're happy to give it, then that's all God really wants. Some people ask me, well, well I don't know, what, what, what should I give? Well, if you want to maybe start with 10, go ahead. But you don't have to stick with 10. You could give more if you want. There's been a lot of uh, famous businessmen who've, who've given uh, 10, then 20, then 50, 60, 70. I think I remember uh, John Wesley, and they're giving back to the Lord even 90%. You know, there's no certain rule. It, it's whatever is in your heart. And so the Philippians did that very thing. Unexpectedly, they sent with Silas and Timothy this gift out of their heart. And, and Paul's like, you know what? You, you guys don't even have that much, yet you gave this. And then Paul said, no worries, though. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's where that verse came from. He's encouraging the Philippians like, you know what? God's going to take care of everything. Thank you so much. That's the context of that passage in Philippians chapter 4. So, listen, whatever you want to give, that's up to you. That's between you and God. The important thing is to give, to do your part, and to support the ministry, support missions. Just make sure it's out of your heart. A mother wanted to teach her daughter about giving, so she gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar. Okay, when you go to church, she instructed her, put whatever one you want into the collection bag and keep the other one for yourself. Well, on the way home from church, the mother asked her, well, which one did you give? Well, the little girl said, I was going to give the dollar. But just before the collection, the man up front said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. So she kept the dollar. But you know what? That's still biblical, you guys. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. So whatever is on your heart, do your part. Be willing to give. Let's go to number three. Be willing to share. Be willing to work. Be willing to give. And now number three, be willing to share. Be willing to share. Here we're going to cover verse 6 through 8. Verse 6 through 8. We're going to continue on here. Let's read those verses. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Well, we see here in verse 6 now, we, be, we continue there, that when they, that's the Jews, when they, when they heard what Paul was preaching, was sharing 
and, and reasoning with them about that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Well, they opposed him. These Jews, they didn't, they didn't like that. They uh, reviled him. They insulted him. They went against him. And so you know what Paul did at this moment? When they did that, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, when he shook off his garments, like took his coat and went, and like shaking off the dust, it was this expressive act. It was a symbolic act of disassociation. He says, you know what? That's okay. You know what? And I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. You rejecting this message? Then that's all right. I'm shaking off, disassociating, and going to preach to the Gentiles. Now, it's not that Paul never was going to go into synagogue and talk to Jews. Actually, in chapter 19, he's going to go to Ephesus and go into the synagogue. It was just in there, in that place, in that city, in that area, that they became so hostile. And they were, you know, it, it, it wasn't happening there. They were rejecting him and insulting him, putting him down. So it, it, there wasn't any work, you know, getting done. So that, that's all right. You know, and he says, the blood is on, uh, you know, your, your own heads. In other words, you're responsible. You know, it, it, in other words, you're responsible for your choice to reject the truth about Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, I, I'm, I'm innocent of this. In other words, I've done all I could in presenting this message to you. But you've rejected that. And so I have a clear conscience in that I did everything I could. I'm innocent of your choice and what's going to end up with that. And so he turned to the Gentiles in that city now. The thing is, is Paul understood that, that uh, they were rejecting the, the message. Not so much Paul. I mean, yeah, they were angry at him, but... But Paul knows that it was the message that made them so hostile. The the thing is, I I believe Paul understood is that the messenger is not responsible to convert anyone, right? Only God can save. Only the Holy Spirit, only Christ Jesus can save. But the messenger is responsible to share the message of Jesus. Once you put the message out, the ball is in their court. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, I put the ball in your hands. You don't want it. That's your choice. It's between you and God. I'm just the messenger. So here's the third thing to understand here that I believe Luke is putting out. Do your part and be willing to share. Be willing to be the one to share. And here's Paul. Here's Paul sharing up front. Uh, sharing with these guys, knowing that he's going to face all this hostility he has in every city anyway. But he's willing to do his part, to do what God called him to do, to bring this message. And, and you know, I've been feeling that a lot lately, coming into this new year, how, Lord, you know, you are Lord God and Creator. And you've called me to share your word to teach it, to share your message. You called me with some friends that I have. They aren't saved. To, to share Jesus, to, to do what I can to, to shine a light. And God, I'm, 
I'm your tool. That's what I've been thinking. God, I'm just a tool. And, and, and you know, when, when people reject the message or they get down on you and they, they might say things, you know, my insecurity kind of pops. It's like, oh, you know, kind of thing. Or we fear that, don't we? We fear that rejection and, and we, we take it personally. But you know what? We're just a messenger. And if they reject that, they, they're rejecting the message. They're rejecting God. And I think we got to keep those things clear in our mind and we got to continue to do our part be willing to share. Be willing to be the one to share. Because perhaps God, that's how God wants to use you. Perhaps he's placed you in your workplace, in your situation, uh, in your home, in your neighborhood, wh- wherever that is. Perhaps a chance meeting with someone or perhaps a, a, your carpooling with someone. I, whatever that situation is, be willing to share. Be willing to do your part because God, sovereign, probably put you there. And then understand, they receive it or not, you're God's servant. You're just obeying him. How they respond isn't, you know, uh, on you. You've done your best. You're innocent of if they reject God, hey, I did my best. I prayed. You know what? They heard, heard the message. And you give that to the Lord. You do your part. Be willing to share. And you know what? Leave it at that. You're the messenger. Leave the message with them and let God work on them with the message. I, I always think about this. C.H. Spurgeon, the great uh, British preacher back in the late 1800s. I mean, he has his testimony of how he came to the Lord. But one of the things that really impacted him and brought him to the word to Jesus was he said, I remember my mother praying. And this is what his mother prayed. And I, I'm kind of shocked at this, but I'm like, wow, th- this is the heart. He says, I remember her praying. Now, Lord, if my children go on in sin, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Jesus Christ. Isn't that heavy? I mean, for me, whoa, what a heart. She shared Jesus. Yeah, she made sure it was clear. And she's saying, God, if they reject you, it's not because of me. Matter of fact, I'll have to testify against them that they heard it. They heard it. I thought, whoa. Well, this is Paul. These Jews are accountable now. Paul did his best, did everything, put it out there. They could see it very clear that Jesus is the Messiah. Yet, they rejected the message. They're rejecting Paul, but it's really the message. And now they're accountable to the Lord for what was given them. All right. Let's, in verse um, 7, so when he shook off his garments and, and uh, he said, oh, I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. In verse 7, he left there, the synagogue, and went to the house of a man named uh, 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 Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house, get this, was next door to the synagogue. Isn't that funny? He just moved his sign over, <laughs> maybe kind of thing. So he went. He went to a Gentile who lived next door. But amazing thing was Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, 
believed in the Lord. He came to be saved. Even though Paul left, he believed in the Lord. Maybe his leaving, maybe seeing what Paul did really hit his heart like, whoa, what am I going to do with this information? What am I, what choice am I going to make? Well, he believed in the Lord. Also, his entire household, his family, and if he had servants and, and all that came to Jesus Christ. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, witnessing, believed and were baptized. So amazing, From though the Jews are rejecting him, it didn't stop Paul. Though the Jews rejected him, his, his first place he went to, he didn't give up there. No, he kept going. He went to the Gentiles. And from this new base of operations, Paul continued to do ministry. And you know what? People got saved. People got baptized. Opposition could not stop the work of the Holy Spirit that was going on. It's interesting how in 1 Corinthians 1.14, you know, Paul writes that, you know, you guys, when I was with you, he's talking to Corinthians. I think he's talking about this time right now. He goes, you know, when I was with you, I didn't baptize no one. Well, except Gaius and guess who? Crispus. And so we get a tie into what was going on. Remember Paul in that passage is saying, you know, you, you guys are, are, are going too far. You're like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm with Apollos. No, I'm with Paul. He goes, you know what? That wasn't what I was about. So we get a picture even in this time in 1 Corinthians 1 that, that Paul barely baptized anyone. He probably had Timothy and Silas baptizing people. And many were getting saved, but oh, maybe Christmas and Gaius, maybe, maybe that, that, that was were the ones I, I only baptized. You know, he didn't want to form some group around him. That's not what he was about. He, he, he didn't want to be the distraction for the people Loving Jesus and being loyal to Jesus. I love that heart. That's Paul. Paul was all about Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's what drove him, right? That's what motivated him. That's what kept him going. And even with the opposition here, even with the Jews coming against him, he's like, okay, no, but I'm going to go over here now. It didn't stop him at all. And so the, I want you to see Again, do your part and be willing to share. But keep at it. Keep at it because you know what? This is all for Jesus. It's not for you. It's not because all of you were rejected. Well, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you feel bad about yourself or you feel like, I can't do this or I'm no good. Or, I, I, I'm, I, I can't talk or, you know, I, I don't, I, I guess I, I don't have the ability you know, some people feel like, well, you know, I don't have that gift of evangelism. But God didn't say go out into all the world and make disciples, only you evangelists. He called all of us to be missionaries right where we're at. So no matter, don't focus on yourself, on your inability, because Holy Spirit will give you the ability. Focus on what you want to do for Jesus, what he's calling you to do. What, what, what he's stirring in your heart, even right now, about. Do your part and be willing to share. Keep at it. Paul kept at it. And why? Because it was all for Jesus. And opposition 
or, or I, I think about myself, yeah, if I, opposition, my insecurity comes up, I'm like, oh, I can't do this then. Forget it. I'm not going to try anymore. No, we got to get past that. It's not for the pastors. It's not for the super Christians. It's for each and every one of us because Christ is in our heart. Because we've been saved. God has rescued us. And the Holy Spirit is in us, empowering us. And just the reality that you love Jesus, you're saved, and you're living for him. You've been forgiven of your sin. You've been freed from the bondage. And now you're a new creation. That's a testimony of God. Look what God did for me. He can do that for you. He can forgive you. This is what Christ has done. Just that alone is huge for someone who's hurting and needing Jesus in their life. So don't let any inabilities or anything like that stop you. I read about this two-year-old golden retriever that saved his owner's life. This Maryland woman was eating an apple when a piece lodged in her throat and she started choking. She tried to perform Heimlich on herself, but it didn't work. I, you know, no one else was around. Um, I guess you do what you can, right? Well, get this. True story. The dog saw her beating her chest, got on his hind feet, paws on her shoulder, and pushed her down. Then the dog jumped up and down on her chest until the apple was dislodged from her heart. True story. Amazing. This dog did that. Uh, Later, the doctor said she probably would not be here without the dog. I literally have paw print-shaped bruises on my chest, said the woman. This golden retriever saved this woman's life. I think it was God. I think God was using this dog. What a miracle. What if the dog said, I'm a dog, I can't do that, right? Oh, I don't know how. I can't even dial the phone, right? That's too hard. No, he went for it. And he kept at it, kept jumping at it, jumping on her chest. Well, Paul did not give up when he faced resistance. Not at all. He was out there. To save lives. It was all for Jesus. So do your part. Be willing to work. Be willing to give. Be willing to share no matter what. Let's go to number four. Here's our our last thing I want you to see is that be willing to trust. Be willing to trust. From verse 9 to verse 11. And so uh, it says here in verse 9, and the Um, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Luke now inserts in here, and he goes on, says, And you know what happened after that? The Lord came to Paul at night in a vision and spoke to Paul and said, do not be afraid. Now, at first it's like, wait, a lot of things are happening, Paul. Yeah, I mean, you stood up to these Jews, yeah, who are 
insulting you, against you. And you went to the Gentiles, and people were getting saved. And, but, but even Crispus, this, the Jewish leader of the synagogue, got saved. I mean, his whole household, and Holy Spirit's moving. God's doing this great thing. But then at night, the Lord comes to Paul and says, hey, don't be afraid. To me, that says that Paul was afraid. But, but why? Why would he be afraid? Think, things were going great. Well, I think it was perhaps the middle of the night when the Lord came. Because I'll tell you, it's the middle of the night when it seems like depression. Oppression is the worst. I'll tell you, I, I, I feel like the, the, the great, some of the greatest oppressions I feel is after a great weekend of church and ministry. Or, or, or we have a great retreat or conference, and then the next day, I just feel this heaviness. I feel like, even like, I, I don't, I'm like, why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? You know, and it seems to stay upon me like a couple days, and all of a sudden, like the third day, it's like, it's like gone like that. And I go, I know why. It was the enemy. So I, I, I feel like the Lord's saying, do not be afraid. I think the enemy was coming in and pressing down on Paul. I mean, that's what happens when things seem good. The enemy seems to come oppress you and point to all the bad. That's when you get the most afraid and discouraged. So watch out. When God does great things, watch out. Because then Satan comes, and you know what? He does his part. He does his part. You know, we know in Romans 1.16 that the gospel, yeah, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Jesus Christ, the truth about him, what he did, dying on the cross and rising again and saving us and the forgiveness of sin, atonement for our sins and his cleansing, all that is the power of God. That truth can save a person. The enemy can't go against that. That truth, he cannot. But you know what he can do? He can come against the messenger. He can come against the man or the woman and try and stop the messenger from giving the message. And I think something was going on here this evening. Perhaps Paul's depression made Paul start to focus in on the insults. You know how those things play in your mind? Yeah. Perhaps the attacks and the things they were saying. Perhaps the, the, the opposition and, and the hostility. I mean, right? Just about every city on this missionary journey he was persecuted, right? Paul kept going. But maybe for, because of the, the, the enemy, it just started to come crash on him. I mean, it seems unbelievable. This is Paul. But you know what? I can relate. I'm not Paul, but I can relate to this. I can really relate. But here comes the Lord. Isn't that great? In the middle of the night, at night, I believe is middle. When, when it's the darkest, the Lord comes in a vision and says, don't be afraid, Paul. No worry. And he comes to Paul with a word, a promise. Don't be afraid. And I want you to see this. He gives Paul four things. 
He gives him four things. First of all, he says, I want you to keep speaking for me. He says in verse verse 9, sorry, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Isn't that great? I want you to keep speaking. In other words, Paul, this is your calling. This is what I want you to do. This is what I am commanding you to do. Don't be silent. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think, you keep going. It's like what Paul, I think Paul, probably from this evening, told Timothy a similar thing. In in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2, he says, Paul told Timothy, preach the word, right? In season and out of season. Preach the word. Keep preaching, Timothy. Don't stop. Keep sharing Jesus. No matter the situation, no matter the outcome that the Jews don't want to hear, it doesn't matter. You keep preaching. Because why? God commands it. And then he says, a second thing. I want you to keep teaching, keep preaching. He says in verse 10, for I am with you. Number two. God says, I'm there right. I I will be right there with you. Number two is that. I will be there with you. I will be right there with you. You know, um, in Joshua 1.5, right, the Lord told Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's what he's saying, right? Here's God again with Paul. Hey, I'm going to be right there. No worries. Keep preaching. And then he says the third thing, I will protect and keep you. So he goes on here and he says, I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you. I love that. I will protect you and keep you. John MacArthur said, those under God's protection are invulnerable. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be right there. Keep doing what you're doing. And no one's going to be able to harm you. These Jews, nope, they're not going to harm you here. You're going to have free reign here in this city. And then the last thing is, I have many here who belong to me. He says here in um, verse 10, he goes on and says, I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, it's not just the ones who got saved, yeah, so far, but there's more that are going to be saved. God is working in the lives of many who will hear the message of Jesus and be saved and baptized too. That's what God is saying. I'm doing the work here. There's going to be many people. So Paul, keep going. And we know a church was established there. So here's the Lord. Yeah, no worries. I want you to keep speaking for me. I will be right there with you. I will protect and keep you out. I have many here who belong to me. I have a, 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 a plan here. There's a purpose for you here. I'm going to do work. So Paul, do not be afraid. No need worry or fear. Because you know what? God is doing his part. Satan was trying to do his part. But no, God is working here. God is doing his part. So here's the Lord coming to Paul, and this is our, our, our heading, our last point. 
do your part and be willing to trust God and obey his calling. Obey what he's commanding you to do. And that's what God is telling us now. Do your part and be willing to trust him. Obey him. Obey his calling, what he wants you to do. Wherever you're at, again, in your family, in your workplace, your home, your neighborhood, whatever situation, you know, trust God that he put you there and he's calling you and he's commanding you to share Jesus, commanding you to live that life. Trust him and obey him. Makes me think of that hymn, right? The hymn, the chorus says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You want to you bring the Christian life into two sim- simple terms here, or a simple term with two aspects of it? Trust and obey God. Trust God and what he's calling you to do and obey him and do it. Sometimes the, the Christian life, or many times I should say, is not easy. I was thinking about that today and yesterday. Oh, God, it's a struggle. But one day we're going to be in heaven. One day when you return. But while we're here, Lord, help me to remember the simple truth. We walk by faith and we live in obedience. I want to trust you, God, and I want to obey you. You know, every problem is really an opportunity to trust God. And every situation is an opportunity to obey, to trust and obey. That's what it's about, you guys. As we close up here, God is calling you and I to keep at it. Trust and obey Him. And then you will see the miracles. You will see him work. I'll close with this. I uh, read this story about a professor of philosophy at USC who, whose goal really was to prove there is no God. His strong personality and his logic was, was, was so out there and so, so strong that he was feared by all the students. At the end of every semester, on the last day, uh, he would say to, say, his 300 students, he would say, if there's anyone who still believes in God, stand up. Well, no one dared to come against him. And then he'd say, you know what, because if, you, if anyone believes in God, you're a fool. That's what he would say. Then he would say, if God is real, when I drop this piece of chalk, And if he can keep it from hitting the ground and breaking, then I'll believe in him. Well, famously, every year, he would drop it, and everyone would see the chalk fall, break. And this happened like year after year, even people were saying for 20 years. And he said, see, there is no God. Well, one semester, a Christian took this required class. And... uh, he was praying all semester. Here it comes, the last day of the semester, the last day of class. The challenge came out, same as always. And, and as, as uh, the professor said, if 
there is anyone who still believes in God, stand up. Well, this believer stood up. He stood up. The professor called him out. Well, you're a fool, then. You're a fool. And then he did his whole thing about the chalk. I'm going to drop it and all that. Well, when the professor went to drop the chalk, this time he went to drop it, but it slipped out of his fingers. It, it went off his sh- shirt cuff into the pleats of his pants, down his leg, and off his shoe. And as it hit the ground, it just rolled away unbroken. Well, the professor's jaw dropped, and he ran out of the room at that. And you know what? This Christian student, he went up front, and he proclaimed Jesus Christ. Jesus, he does his part always, and he calls us, you and I, to do your part. Let's pray. God, thank you. In your word, Lord, you speak to us. God, through the Holy Spirit, confirms, Lord, testifies in our heart that this is true and that it is your voice that we see coming out of the pages of our Bible. And, Lord, you're calling us to do our part. And so, Lord, we want to be committed to that, God. Lord, it is a a great big world out there. There's a lot of hostility there's a lot of opinions. There's a, a lot of things that could make us feel shame, insecure, and take away any boldness that we might have. But Lord, boldness isn't inside of me, Lord, but it is of your Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us as you spoke to Paul. To not be afraid, to keep speaking, to trust that you are there. God, you will protect us, God, that we keep sharing. Be willing to do your work, God. Lord, help us tonight, God. But we want to commit together to do that very thing, and that is to trust and obey you tonight. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Yeah, I want to keep our eyes closed, head bowed, just, just for a little few moments here before we sing our last song and and uh, let's just pray let's just spend a few minutes here just praying open prayer time if let's respond to God with our voice and if there's any situation or any person you want to pray for and I know we don't want to maybe you don't want to say their name we'll say oh I have a family member or a friend or a co-worker um Pray that way so we can all agree. Let's come before the Lord and lift up our voice to Him in prayer. God, I want to be first one to say, Lord, help me to have a voice, Lord, and to say what you're leading me to say. I pray that you fill me with your spirit. And as I speak to these certain friends and I pray for them, God, that you would save them. God, that you give me the boldness to name your name and to share the good news. Thank you, Jesus.